We are jumping into Warrior Part 4. Warrior Part 4. Everybody say attitude. attitude. Right? I know that if you're a parent, you've probably said to your kids before, I don't like your attitude, right? Um, we've all said that. We've all thought that. We've all thought, man, that person's attitude is something else, right? But let's read our theme verse uh, for this morning before we get into God's, before we get into the message. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. Open our hearts today. Help us to be soft and pliable and teachable and everything that we need to be to be able to take your word and not just hear it, but be doers of your word. Be be people who listen and understand and apply it to our life. And so we just thank you for the gift that is your word today. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you ready? What are we fighting with this week? We're fighting with our attitude. Our attitude. Man, I've, I've had a great uh, time over the last few weeks just with our church family. Uh, some amazing things are happening in our kids' ministry. If you're dropping off kids back there, you know, man, it's hopping. Um, we've, had, we've seen a huge jump in attendance in our, in our kids' ministry um, over the past month, and it's awesome. Kids are reading their Bibles. They're coming back with their little Bible logs. They're getting their 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 coins and all their stuff. And, and they're excited about following Jesus. I even heard about one elementary school student in our church that started her own Bible study at recess. How cool is that? How cool is that? She has a great attitude, positive. She thinks, man, God has gifted me with his word. Hey, I'm going to use it. How amazing is that attitude? But I'm gonna give you just a few Joe Denbo definitions. This is from the dictionary of not Merriam-Webster, but Joe Denbo, of what does attitude mean? And let's look at it through this lens today. Attitude is the way that I outwardly carry my thoughts. It's how I carry my thoughts on the outside. It's thoughts on the outside. And here's my favorite one. Think about attitude. It's like the tattoos of your beliefs. It's the tattoos of your beliefs and not the tattoos that you like hide under your sleeve or maybe you put on your back that no one sees. No, this would be like something you tattoo right across your forehead that you can't hide, right? It's a tattoo of your belief that everyone sees all the time, no matter what. Man, if I, I've heard this story a thousand times from my wife about when she was growing up and, and her, her dad, who, who has been here with us the last couple of weeks, he left uh, just the other day to go back to Florida. You know, he used to walk into the room and, and Jolie and her brother, Brian, they, they had a rough day. And as kids, you always, you know, you have a rough day. And maybe they got grounded, had to do more dishes or whatnot. But Ron would walk into work and walk into the house and just see the look on his two kids' faces. And he would say, I smell something. And his kids' faces would get even more angry and just stare at them because they knew what was about to come out of his mouth. He'd say, I smell something. It's your attitude, right? He could smell it from a mile away. It was written all over their faces and all over their body language. It stank. And when you and I, when we walk into a room, the attitudes of the people in the room is what sets the relational, emotional, and interpersonal temperature of the room, right? 
And immediately, and this is what you and I have to get today, immediately when you walked in and because you walked in, you begin to contribute. Now, some of you never thought of yourself as a very powerful person. You might just think of yourself as a fly on the wall. You might just think of yourself as, as just a, a wallflower. You just come in and you're just there and nobody really pays attention to you. Nobody sees you, but nothing could be further than the truth. You have an incredible power given to you by your creator and it's called your attitude. So the key question when it comes to attitude this morning is which thoughts and beliefs do I want most represented in my behaviors, in my actions, and in my body language, right? Which thoughts and beliefs do I want most represented? Think of it like this. Remember that old comedian that said, here's your sign, right? I think maybe Jeff Foxworthy or one of those guys. Here's your sign. What if you had to wear a sign like around your neck all the time for the rest of your life and it had to say something? What would it say? What would you want it to say? What would you want to write on your sign? What would you want to bring into the room when you enter? That'd be your attitude. That when people see you, what do they see? You know, I think a lot of times there's a disconnect. There's a huge disconnect between, between what we say we believe, but between what we say we think and what comes out on the outside right? I know it's, it's true for me so often. I say, man, I'm full of the joy of the Lord. But then I, I, I just look like, you know, I walk around life kind of with this furrowed, probably because I'm thinking about something. I'm in Joville. I'm in another planet mentally. And so if people look at me on the outside, they're like, man, that guy's angry. When it's no, I'm just, I'm just thinking. But hey, when I walk into a room, I immediately begin to contribute. Now, attitude can't fix everything. And I love what John Maxwell says. He says, attitude cannot make up for incompetence. Can I get an amen? Just because you have a smile on your face and have great, you know, outwardly stuff. If, if you can't do the job or if you, if you don't really contribute to anything besides a smile, that's a great thing, but it only lasts so long. So it can't make up for incompetence. He says, attitude cannot give you a skill that you don't possess. Attitude doesn't make all your dreams come true, unfortunately. Wouldn't that be cool? You just have to put on a great attitude and all of a sudden it fixes everything. He says it isn't everything you need in life, but it sets the tone for your life. And if all things are equal between two people except for their attitudes, the person with the better attitude will usually be more successful in life and enjoy life more. And I know that to be true. Attitude is a huge asset. But so there's this disconnect so much of the time in our life. We say we follow Jesus, but we walk around looking like we're sucking on lemons all day. You been there? Man, I, I was kind of ornery when Jovi was a little baby and we were at Olive Garden one time. And I, I, I took a lemon and I just keep squirting it in her mouth. And the funny thing is she kept opening, she kept wanting more, but how many of you know that face? When you squirt that lemon in a baby's mouth and it's like, and like the contortion, it was so funny. We wanted to send it to America's Funnest Home Videos, but we never did, but it was that funny. Maybe just to us, because we were her parents. But there's this disconnect. It's like we say, this is what's in my heart. This is what I believe but it doesn't necessarily come out on the outside. Would you rather be around a person that is always negative or somebody with a positive life-giving attitude? Obvious answer. And so today's talk 
isn't just about body language or smiling all the time, although those things really, really work. But we're going to look at Jesus's attitude and what we can learn from it. So turn with me this week to Philippians chapter two. Most of the message, we're going to be kind of going through this chapter and looking at all kinds of different things about Jesus's attitude and Paul's teachings about how to apply that to our life. And so Philippians 2.5 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, spoiler alert, he died that criminal's death on a cross for you. And I don't know where you come from this morning. I don't know what your church background is. I don't know if maybe this whole service this morning has been kind of like new and like, what is going on here? But we're singing, we're praising, we're, we're rocking out today. We're, we're going crazy because of this fact that Jesus left his father's right hand in heaven. He left his throne on high. He came into flesh and blood as a man. He was born just like you and I. He lived a sinless life and he laid down his life on a cross for you, for me, for every single person that has ever walked this hunk of dirt, right? He did it for you and me all because he had a great attitude that we're going to look at today. And so it's telling us, man, you got to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But before you and I can even think about your attitude and how to adjust it, we've got to accept the fact that we can change. You can change. I can change. Do you believe that today? Do you really believe that? Because I think sometimes we get stuck and we think, man, this is just the way I am. We get stuck in this, in this rut. Man, Joe, I've been doing this life a long time and I, I just don't know if I can change that much. I don't know if I can go from grumpy old me to Pollyanna. Some of you younger ones won't get that joke. But I can change. Listen, a person that is resistant to changing their attitude usually thinks that they first need to change their circumstances. Do you fall into that trap sometimes? You're like, well, Joe, I can't smile because, and you can give me a hundred reasons. You ever ever found yourself there? Well, Joe, but you don't know my situation. Listen, you gotta remember, the grass isn't greener on the other side. Somebody else's life, somebody else's wife, somebody else's planet, somebody else's home, somebody else's car, somebody else's reputation, somebody else's popularity. The grass is greener where you water it. My life is not static with dynamic things swirling around it, like I need everything else to change. My life is dynamic. And the only constant in life is that nothing is constant. And so I get to change me. I get to change my attitude. I get to change how I look about life. I can change myself. I can be different. Man, I'm blown away on Facebook sometimes how, how people make extraordinary changes to themselves on their own all the time, of their own will. Have you ever noticed that? Amazing things. 
They transform their lives. They transform their finances. They transform their bodies. They transform all kinds of stuff. And I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm like, man, I don't have that kind of willpower. But listen, church, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. And so you think I can't change and you're thinking completely contrary to scripture. We have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We can truly say that nothing is impossible. And so even if you've been one of those people walking around like a curmudgeon your whole life, you can change. You can have a different attitude. And this happens when we take on the attitude of Jesus Christ and we lay our life on the altar like he laid his life on the cross. And we say, God, change me. And so let's get into it today. Attitudes that will change your life. Number one, number one, humility. Humility. This is an attitude that we choose to have that will change our life. Philippians 2.3 says, don't be selfish. I could just drop the mic and leave. That's good enough for today. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. So what is the actual definition of humility? It's having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. So when I look at myself, I don't see me or, or my life or, or the things in my life as particularly important. And if, if I diminish, then what gets bigger? Everybody else. God. You know, the Bible says that we, we make much of him and we make less of ourselves, less of me, more of you, right? So the opposite of humility, then the, the counter kind of um, action in our life is that we're elevating another's importance. Like I'm going to be less and God's going to be more. I'm going to be less in my importance and I'm going to make you more important than myself, right? I'm going to think of you as better than me. And when I do this, I'm being intentional with my attitude and I'm giving God's glory and I'm saying, I'm second, you're first. Philippians 2.5, you must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Jesus humbled himself in two ways. First of all, he humbled himself to God. That's what it said, right? He humbled himself in obedience to God. And so Jesus, he modeled this throughout his whole entire earthly ministry. God, you're more important than me. And then what did he do? He humbled himself, and this, is, this should blow your mind, this should shake you to your core. He humbled himself to you. Let that sink in. The creator of the whole entire universe, the one that knows every thought you've ever had. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows your insecurities. He knows your strengths. He knows your failures, and he knows your successes. And he looks at you and your life in all of its realness and authenticity and says, I'm going to humble myself to you. Blows my mind. Never gets old. And so why follow Jesus? Because he humbled himself to you. You need a reason to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. This is it. Because he is the only leadership figure in history that said he's God and humbled himself to you by dying for you and for me on a cross. 
Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Back then, that was incredibly humbling. He acted like a servant. He was beaten and he bled and his body was torn apart for you. Personalize it. Why does your attitude need to shift into just one of humility? Because Jesus did it for you. He came to serve and not to be served. Think about it. Thousands of people showed up to hear Jesus teach even before he died on the cross, even before he did this amazing act. There was this draw. Now, a lot of times here on earth, when thousands of people start showing up to watch you, you know, you become disconnected. You start to, you know, move off into the background because as a human, it's just, it's hard to handle all the attention. It's hard to handle success in a godly way. But Jesus, man, he handled it as only he could with a humble heart. Do you think it was because he was flashy or prideful or a celebrity? No, it's because he taught people, he helped people, he healed people. He was different. He said, let the kids come. Let them come to me. In fact, you can't get to the kingdom of God. You can't get my father's approval unless you're like the kids. His attitude was in stark contrast to the other leaders of his day. And so humility, as we see from Jesus's life, doesn't mean you can't be a strong leader. Humility means that you take the focus off of yourself and you put it on others. There's a thousand ways to do this, but my favorite is serving. If man, if there's a verb that goes along with humility, it's I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna serve at work, I'm gonna serve at home, I'm gonna serve whenever I can at every single turn and every junction in life, I'm gonna serve. And man, when you think about, start to think, how can I serve people? Man, opportunities are gonna pop up all over the place. A lack of humility is always rooted in insecurity because you're fighting for your own popularity instead of his, instead of other people's. You're, you're fighting for your own junk instead of trying to prop other people up. And so a huge part of becoming a humble person is allowing your sense of security to be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus knew whose he was. He was the father's son. And because he was so rooted in the fact that he was God's son, it was okay. He could get down. He could wash feet. He could do whatever he had to do. He could bleed. He could be beaten. He could die for you and me because he knew whose he was. Listen, he's the only one that can fill that insecure spot in your life. That spot in your heart where you feel like no one sees, no one loves, no one approves of. He's the only one that can fill that void in your life. He humbled himself. How many of you know it's always easier when you and I humble ourselves rather than being humbled? Can I get an amen? When we just say, hey, yes, I'm gonna lay my life down just like Jesus did for me. The second attitude that will change your life is teachability. Teachability. What does it say right after this passage in Philippians 2, 12? Paul says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. He's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so we see in this short little passage, there's a teacher and there's a student. Now, I've got three students in school that, and none of them like to be held accountable at school. How many of you know that? It's like, oh, I got to study for this test. Uh, oh, I got to read this book. 
And it's such a, there's a bad attitude that goes along with that. And newsflash, when you grow up, that doesn't go away. We don't like to be taught. We don't like to be led. We don't like to follow instructions. Guys, you get that thing from Ikea? Man, you wanna burn them, don't you? Am I right? And so when, when Paul says to the Philippians, hey, you followed my instructions when I was with you, it's even more important now. For us to do that, we have to have a teachable spirit. And by the way, this was adult to adult, an adult leading another adult. Man, there's no greater humility than saying, hey, I'm gonna let another peer, another adult lead me. You and I should be learning from those that have gone before. And that doesn't mean age, but those that have maybe walked in areas that that we haven't found victory in yet that we're gonna learn from them, we're gonna be teachable. And, this, and those that you are before, it's not just those that are older, but we can learn from those who are younger and even less experienced because they're good at something we're not good at. It's a general attitude towards life. Listen, in working and leading with people over the years in ministry, man, I've seen a very clear, stark difference in people. And it's a choice. And I've seen that people either have it or they don't have it. They either want to learn, they're either teachable, or they're not. And there's very little middle ground. Man, I was talking to a friend here at church um, recently who said, hey, made a choice this year, I've never been a reader, but I'm, I, I decided I'm gonna finish five books this year. How cool is that? He's like, I'm gonna do it. And guess what? He's on his fifth book. And the year's not even close to be done yet. So cool. I love it. And that's just an attitude of humbleness that says, I want to be a learner. I want to be teachable. So great. What are the reasons that we don't, that we're not teachable? I think a lot of times it's apathy. We're just like, eh, which translated is laziness. I don't want to work. I don't want to do it. It hurts. It's painful, right? Sometimes it's pride. I don't need to learn. I know everything. Sometimes we're overly content or comfortable with life and and we're addicted to the comforts of this world and we're just like, eh, I don't need it. The world says that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone, right? The world says, just be you, just live your life. Hey, it's okay, whatever you wanna be, just be it. The world says, let's all learn from each other, but be accountable to no one. Have you ever noticed that? No one wants to be held accountable. Nobody wants to be taught. Here's what the Bible says, though. Knowledge puffs up, makes you proud, but love builds up. And so it doesn't matter what we know if we don't have a heart of teachability. The Bible says in this verse, work hard, learn, follow, be reverent and fear God. Now, if you're new at this, it doesn't mean like be afraid of God like you're afraid of of chainsaw massacre jumping out of the, the corn maze at Halloween, right? Not that kind of fear. It's a fear that says, man, I respect you so much that I don't want to disappoint you and my life depends on it, right? See, that kind of attitude is teachable says, man, I know I've got flaws. I know I got areas to work on and I'm gonna work on them. In leading uh, church staff over the years, and this would be people that called into ministry and wanna serve God and wanna, wanna do what's best. Um, and I, I've led 
uh, church staff over the years through the creation and development and implementation of personal development plans. It was a big deal for us. And, and I've heard some pretty bold statements as we've gone through that learning and growing process. You know, I've, I've heard people read a book and say, eh, nothing new in that book. I knew it all. I've heard it all before. Or I've asked people, how are you doing on your reading plan? How are you doing on your development plan? And they said, oh, I haven't had the time. I've just been so busy. Which translation, it's not important to you. It's a add-on. It's not a attitude that, you, that are, you're carrying with your life that says, I want to learn. I've heard some people, real spiritual people over the years say, all I need is the good book. And there is no book like, like God's book. There's no book like the Bible. And there's no book that even comes close to matching its wisdom. But man, there's all kinds of great teachers and, and people out there to help you unpack the wisdom of God's word. And you, if you have that kind of attitude, you've missed it. Because the Bible says that there's counsel or there's wisdom in the counsel of many, of many. And so these statements that I've, that I've heard and I've, I've made a time or two, they make it sound like growth and learning are optional and that's just arrogance. Listen, if you wanna be a leader, you follow first. To be a great leader, you've got to be a great follower first. You're following Jesus, just like Jesus followed the Father. Jesus led his disciples, his disciples followed Jesus. His disciples then begin to lead others and those disciples had disciples. You've gotta be a great follower. Number three, the third attitude that will change your life is resiliency. This is an I will not give up attitude. In Philippians 2.16, it says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. And then later in Philippians 4.1, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Now that's a verse a lot of times we'll just pass over and it'll be like, oh, and we just go on like, what's the real point here? No, this is the point. Stay true, hold firm, don't give up. My buddy Matt and I a couple weeks ago, or I mentioned we went and did a Spartan race and, and there's, there's a bunch of these obstacles on there that are hanging obstacles and we're swinging and doing this stuff. Well, after about seven or eight miles of this race, your whole body's tired. And we get to this one that is like, like three sections longer than all the ones before. And as you, as you grab the holds, this whole thing is turning. And so every time you grab it, it shifts. And, and I got about two thirds of the way through and, and all of a sudden my grip just slipped. And I am a fight. I've kind of got a bulldog personality. Like, I'm like you know, I don't want to give up. I don't want to fail. I just, I, I, I'll hurt myself sometimes to not fail. Anybody ever, you know, feel that? Well, I got to that point where I couldn't hold on any longer. Slipped. I couldn't hold firm. My, the, the limit of my resiliency was tested, Right? grip slipped. One of my buddies that did the same obstacle, he comes off the obstacle and he got, and he's like, guys, look at my hands. And his hands all over were filleted open. I mean, like, like calluses just ripped and bare red skin underneath. And all of us are like, Oh, that looks so painful. And we began to tease him. We're like, dude, you got office hands. Like what's happened to you? You know, you used to be tough guy. Now you've got office hands, right? 
Listen, what causes you to give up? I know that in that obstacle, the reason that I couldn't make it all the way is because I hadn't worked on my grip strength enough. There's way more work I could have done so that I could have made it with endurance through that whole obstacle. And the same for my buddy. We were teasing him all the way up to the race because we're like, dude, you working out? And he didn't do anything. He showed up on race day just, and just did it. And so there's always a reason. When we give up, a lot of times we feel like failures, but no, have an attitude that says, what do I need to get strong in? What do I need to, to work on? The first question is, do you have anything to give up? Have you made a commitment to Jesus? Have you made a commitment to grow? Have you made a commitment to serve? Have you made a commitment to make a difference with your life? It's way easier to not make any real commitments. And just by the way, attendance at church is not a big enough commitment for you if you wanna grow in your walk with Christ. And so, what tests our resiliency? Busyness? So the byproduct is, means I probably don't have a Sabbath. I'm probably not resting enough. I'm not, probably not resting in the Lord's strength. If I'm always so busy that I, I can't hold firm to what God's called me to do. If you're always tired, you probably don't have a plan to replenish. You probably don't have a plan for rest to, to recharge your batteries because you can't give what you don't have. If, you're, if there's this weakness or this temptation in your life that consistently is just kicking your tail, it's probably because you don't have a plan to meet that head on. And then lastly, it's impossible to stay resilient when you're surrounded by defeated people. It's impossible to stay resilient when you're surrounded by defeated people. Why do you think, it, uh, you know, Paul says in Philippians 4.1, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I know for me, sometimes if I'm, if I'm so weak, I feel like I can't go on, it's because I haven't pulled my brothers and sisters close enough and, and, and help and let their strength carry me on. Number four, the fourth attitude as we close today that will change your life is contentment with joy. Contentment with joy. Now, we all know it's good to be content, like to be happy with what we have, right? That's the opposite of jealousy. It's the opposite of envy, that I'm just going to be happy with what I have. And it's so hard for us in, in our consumeristic society. But, the, but Paul here in Philippians, he adds to it something that is absolutely crucial. I'm not just going to be content with what I have. I'm going to be happy about it joyful about it. So let's check out these verses. Philippians 2.17. But I will rejoice even if, underline that, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Love that. Philippians 3.1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There's the joy. Philippians 4.4. 4, always, underline always if you got your Bible open, always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Can you see a theme here? And then Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he brings the hammer. How many of you heard the verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? That's a verse like people use all the time. Man, I can do it, I can do it. And it's almost like we're pumping up themselves up. But what's the context? Here we go. He says, I have learned, underline learned, how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
Paul had an attitude. He wasn't just gonna be content. He's like, hey, I'm gonna be happy about it. I'm gonna be joyful. There's gonna be a pep in my step. I'm not gonna walk around with my circumstances tattooed all over my body. I'm gonna walk around with the joy of the Lord on my face and in my countenance. Why? Because he's worth it. Why? Because I've learned it. Why? Because I've made a choice to say, God, I'm going to walk around with your joy imprinted on my life. Have you ever heard Jesus described as the man of sorrows? I've heard that too. And and I can't even imagine the weight that Jesus walked around with on his shoulders. He carried our sin. Every bad thing you've ever done, he carried it on his shoulders. He died for it on the cross. How hard that must have been, right? Carried the weight of the world, lived a sinless life. He went through temptation. He went through all kinds of things. He was constantly misunderstood and attacked by the Pharisees and the religious elite. Man, he constantly was just being attacked. I can't imagine the the weight that he bore. But look what it says in Hebrews 1.9 about Jesus. It says, God has anointed the Lord Jesus with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Saying that Jesus had the ultimate joy. This word in the, in the translation that, that the, is used for joy in Hebrews, the word gladness in the original language means to leap or to jump. What is this telling us? That Jesus was the most joyful person that ever lived. He was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows, above everyone else. He was the most joyful person ever. And then in John 15, 11, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you would be filled with my joy. My joy, not your joy, not what you can come up with on your own, but the joy that he puts into you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, your joy will overflow. How many of you want that in your life? You're like, I'm sick of living with this bad attitude. I'm sick of living with this weight. I'm sick of carrying around this stuff on my own. I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength. I need it to overflow in the smile on my face and in my body language and how I treat my wife and how I treat my kids and how I treat my coworkers and how I treat that jerk at work and the the people in my class that drive me crazy and, and those people that are so annoying. I need the joy of the Lord to be my strength. I read a story this week, Joe Scriven. He came from Ireland Ireland to the US to be a missionary to the Iroquois Indians more than a hundred years ago. He left his fiance in Ireland. And when she sailed, she finally sailed across the ocean to come and be with him in America, she was killed in a tragic accident. And so here was a man who had loved God, who had left everything, including his fiance, to follow the call of God in his life and to put Jesus first. And he's having to bury his fiance with his own hands. Can you imagine? A year later, he wrote a letter home to Ireland to his mother with these words that you may have heard and you may have sung them at some point in your life. And he wrote these words long before they were put to tune. And he said, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble 
everywhere. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Have you heard that song? What a friend we have in Jesus. Listen, when you settle into an attitude of humbleness, God, I want to make you great and I want my life to diminish. God, help me to be teachable. I want to learn from those around me. God, help me be resilient that even when stuff happens, I'm holding firm, I'm staying true. God, help me to combine joy, the joy of the Lord that is my strength with an attitude of contentment. That God, if, you've, if, if I have it, it's from you and I'm gonna stay within your blessings in life. You combine it with just the joy of the Lord. Then you're okay when junk happens. You're okay when stuff that you don't understand happens, when there's more pain, when there's more loss, when there's more um, questions and ambiguity in life and you just feel lost. And you could say, what a friend I have in Jesus. He's enough. And the joy of the Lord is gonna be my strength. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I thank you for every person in this place. Jesus, open our hearts right now to you to respond to your word accordingly. Friend, are you here today and you have not yet become a friend of Jesus? You haven't yet decided to follow him in the kind of way that says, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose again from the dead and I want to follow you with my whole life. If that's you today and you say, I wanna follow Jesus, that's me, I'm in. If that's you, raise your hand today with boldness, saying, God, I need you, amen, amen. God, I pray for those that raise their hand. And right now, if you're sitting there, you raised your hand today, I wanna encourage you to to pray a prayer on your own at your seat and say, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again on the third day. You did all that because you want to be my friend. You wanna be my Lord. You wanna be my master. I submit my will to your will. I lay down my life for you just like you laid down your life for me. I wanna follow you the rest of the days of my life. Help me to do that. Help me to understand your word in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, can we give a hand for those that accepted Christ today? Amen. And as I close, if you're here today and you're like, Joe, I'm serving Jesus, but I just need an attitude adjustment. My hand's up. If you wanna raise your hand with me, let's just pray a closing prayer today. God, I thank you for the ability to change our attitude. I thank you for the ability that you give us through the power of your word to say, hey, I can be different today. I can respond today in a way that honors you. I can let what I really believe and what you're doing on the inside come out on the outside. And so God, help me to be humble. Help me to be teachable. Help me to be resilient and help me to be full of the joy of the Lord, content in every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.